So I love starting a new series. I don't think I've ever done a series called Worship. And worship has so many aspects to it. You know, we, we think of it as, well, what do you call worship? And most people would say, well, it's singing praises to God. It's, it's come to church. You know, we say Let, we're going to go to worship. And, but it's so much more. It involves so many more aspects of our lives. And, of course, it, it involves singing, but it, that's just a tiny, tiny part of worship. And so today we're going to look at this. I want, to, I want to define worship for you so that we can get into what, we, what, what we're talking about today, which is being God, is God worthy of our worship, which we all know the answer is. Yes, yes He is. But we'll see why. And then, are we worthy to worship Him? I heard Aaron, even as, as Aaron was uh, imparting, as the Holy Spirit was speaking through her, some people, they come to church and they, I don't feel worthy to worship. I don't feel worthy to take communion. So we're going to talk about, is He worthy and are we worthy to actually worship Him? And it's, it's a two-fold message today. But before we get into that, I want to set the stage for this message or these, this series by defining what worship is. Now, in the Old Testament, the worship is from this Hebrew word, and it's shaha. Say shaha. Look at your name and say shaha. <laughs> no, I just kid. I was just a, no. It's, it's kind of a laughter thing. Shaha. And, and simply, it means to bow down. Say bow down. And it also means to lie prostrate before God. I mean, it's flat out on your face before God. So that's the essence of the Old Testament word, shaha, which is worship. Now, the New Testament, which we will talk about some today also, is from uh, the Greek word, and it's proskuneo. Say proskuneo. Look at your name and say proskuneo. I'm very Greek. All right. And now, proskuneo is, is, is the New Testament word for worship, and it means to kiss, okay? Look at your neighbor and go, like that, yeah. You just worship them, I'm sorry. <clears throat> I didn't say actually kiss them. Uh, but here, here's the, the true definition is, is, it's like a dog licking his master's hand. Now that's, that's bona fide definition. Look it up. Like a, and see, we, we kept our, our son, and they were on vacation, so we kept their two dogs. And, and, and that's all I'm going to say about that, all right, because they're big dogs, and we love them, but they're back home, so we're thankful. But they like to, you know, dogs like to come up and lick you. They, they want to, you know, and, and it's like, and then, then I say sit, and they sit because they're worshiping me. No, I'm just, I'm kidding. Uh, they did not worship me, believe me. Uh, they didn't mind me very often. So now we got all the big words out of the way. Say so we got the big words out. We got them gone. That shaha and proskuneo and all, we got all those words out of the way. Let's talk about worship and how it affects us today. What does it mean to you to worship? What does it mean to me to worship? How do we get to that place of intimate worship? How do we get to that place of really knowing that we're worshiping God? And so to find that out, uh, we're going to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Now, while you're looking for that, I want to tell you that in the New King James Version, which I use a lot, I like it very much. I like a lot of translations, but I like this is probably the best. Uh, the worship, the word worship, if you type it in, it's in there 198 times. God was serious about this word worship. He's serious about us worshiping Him. And there, uh, so we're going to look at Genesis chapter 22. Uh, this is where Abraham was asked to give up his son Isaac. Now, let me set the stage for you so I won't have to go back and read a lot of verses. Uh, 
Abraham was, is uh, called the father of, our na- father of nations because he had a son. He had two sons, but one was by illegitimate. And so he had a son by Sarah, and his, his name was Isaac. And God said, I'm going to promise you this. He said, Isaac through Isaac is going to come a lineage of generations of generations of generations, more than the number of the sands on the sea and the stars in the sky. So that's a few trillion, right? So he's talking about this is what I promise you is going to take place, Abraham, as you raise your son Isaac. Now, we're going to pick up the story in Genesis 22, verse 1. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Say, tested. And he said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac. Now, I want you to listen to phraseology throughout all these passages and see if you can't define something that's very prophetic. I want you to take your only son. Say, only son. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Say, love. Now, I like, I, like the, I like the first things. When you look at the first mentions in the Bible, the first mention of love is right here. It's not in, in Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, all through, up to Genesis. It's in Genesis 22, and he's talking about he loves his only son, and he says, I want you to take your only, only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Now, Moriah is also known as Jerusalem. Hmm. Go figure. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, you would think, God, if you were Abraham, what would you do? What would you do if you were Abraham? If you were Abraham, I know what you do. I know what I would do. No way, Jesus. There's no way. No way, God, that I'm going to give my son. You promised. You promised. You promised. No way. Okay? Isn't that what we would say? All you religious people, oh, no, I would say, I'm going to go kill my son. No, you wouldn't. Okay, just get that religious idea out of your head. Nobody's going to do that. See, this wasn't a test to produce faith. It was a test to reveal faith. Let me tell you why. Because God already knew he wasn't going to do it. Because he's God. But Abraham wasn't so sure. That's why he said, I'm going to test you, Abraham. See, how many of you have been through tests before and you failed them? How many of you failed the test before? Every hand ought to be up in here, or unless you're that re- same religious group. <laughs> we all fail these tests, guys. Just own up to it. Be honest. You know, we, we all fail these tests. And when we go through a trial and a tribulation, I remember when I got really sick in 2014. I was, you know, I was, yeah, y'all have heard this story many times. But I want to tell you, my wife, she kept praying for me. She said, Lord, help strengthen his body, give, bring his body into kingdom order. And every prayer my wife would pray, she said the answer was the opposite. Everything went the opposite. And she called that prophet Ron. She said, Ron, am I saved? See, when we go through trials and tribulations and we don't get the answers that the promises of God are in the Word, sometimes our faith, which is up here, just starts going, dipping down low, right? And so Abraham, he had that capacity. He could have said, you know, I can't do this. But he didn't. He was, God was testing him, and he was speaking this Word to him. And here's, here's the thing about it. We, we talk all the time about here, know the Word of God, get into the Word of God, find out what the Word of God is saying to you, what God is saying to you, because that's His Word. And if you don't understand and believe what He's saying to you, you can't operate in this thing called faith, can you? And so He's put this test before Abraham, but He's asking Abraham, do you value what I've told you today? Are you going to hang on to your son? What are you going to do? And here's the response. Well, not the response. In 2 Timothy 3.16, this is what the Word of God says. All Scripture. Say all Scripture. What is Scripture? It's the Word of God. 
is given by inspiration of God, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or the woman or the child of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So he wants you to know the Word of God so you can walk in completion, so you can grow, so you can mature. So we've got to trust that God's Word is true, right? He, and the, there are groups that have added to the Word. There are people, groups that have taken away from the Word. There are groups that said, and, and there are, these are Christians that like to tear out pages of the book because they don't like what it said about certain things. So they just kind of say, well, you know what? I don't want to believe that part. I like this good part. God is love. God is good. He's gracious. He's kind. He's, his mercy fails. We like how there's a lot of scriptures, but there are other scriptures when he says go and sin no more. Well, I don't know about that one. So, we, we, see, we're all guilty sometimes of, of making the word fit us instead of us fitting to the word, right? So the word of God includes trusting and obeying God's word. His, in, 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 to worship God, you've got to believe his word and trust his word. Yes, you just got a message. From here and from there. Okay, you can't say, I worship you, Almighty God. I just don't believe your word is true. Can't do that. You understand what I'm saying? We talk about, well, I worship, I surrender all, but God, I ain't gonna surrender that because that's my favorite. And we say we trust the word, we say we believe the word, and we say we're gonna worship God, and yet He says, Are you really worshiping me? Are you really surrendering to me? Look what Jesus said to some people, the Pharisees and the scribes in, in, Mark, in Mark 7. He says, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? They didn't wash their hands. My goodness. He answered and said to them, Well, did I say a prophesy of you hypocrites? Woo. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. And in vain they what? They worship me. Teaching as doctrines and commandments of men. <clears throat> Some of you worshipped in vain this morning. Right in this room. I've worshipped in vain. I've got through the song before and I didn't even remember what I sang. I've sang words because they were on the screen. How many of you have done that? You were checked out. You were thinking about something else. Something else is more important to you, like your finances or uh, your, your, ch your children. or You had all these other thoughts going on in your mind, and God says, uh, <clears throat> I, I deserve the attention today. Amen. If you're going to worship me, you're going to have to put all that stuff aside. Because I hear, I, see, I hear the words coming out of your mouth. Remember that? What was that? You understand the words coming out of my mouth. You know, what was that? God hears the words coming out of our mouth. People around you hear the words coming out of your mouth. But where's your heart? Where's your heart? He said, in vain they worship me. So just repent. Just repent. It's not a, it's not a huge deal to figure that out. It's just to repent. Lord, I'm so sorry. I've made worship something else than what it really is intended to be. Now let's go back to Genesis 22, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, and he, that was Abraham, he split the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. <laughs> what faith. 
No wonder he's called the father of faith. He says, the lad and I will go and what? We're going to go worship God. Now, first mentions, first time the word worship is mentioned in scripture is right there. So we got love and we got worship in Genesis chapter 22. He says, we're going to go worship. And then he says, we say we, We. we're going to come back. Now we'll see at the end of the story how that, why, why he even said that, but that had to be a faith filled statement. So I'm thinking he's really going to go worship. I mean, he's splitting the wood. He's getting up early in the morning. He probably had a sleepless night that night preparing for this journey, but he didn't, he didn't make excuses. He didn't say, well, God, you must, you must, I must have heard you wrong. Yeah, anybody ever said that to God? I must have heard you wrong. And God said, no, you heard me right the first time. But he didn't make excuses, and he just said, okay, Isaac, we're, we got to go. He got two servants to go with him, and they loaded up, and he split the wood just so-so, and got ready for the sacrifice. And he says they got up, and they took off the next morning. You know how old uh, theologians believe that uh, Isaac was at this time? Take a while, guess. About 30 to 33 years old. Hmm. Are y'all getting the correlation here? About the same age as somebody else we know that had to carry some wood on his back. Look at verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. Oh, this is... And he laid it on his son Isaac. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father... And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for the bread offering? First time I've seen this, Jesus kneeling in Gethsemane. Father, there's another way. Take this cup from me. Think about that. Daddy, we got the fire, we got the knife, we got the wood, but where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? And Abraham stretched out. No, excuse me, I'll jump too far ahead. Can't see through these tears too well. I need to clean that off. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Now, that last statement is so important that you understand it. Because I used to figure out, man, if Abraham's over 100 plus years old, and his son's 30 or whatever, and he's about to lay him on an altar and kill him, I'm thinking Abraham is not going to be quick enough to catch Isaac. (laughs) You what, Dad? Bye. (laughs) Out of here. Dad's, you know, Dad's lost it. If I was Isaac, I would have been, shoot, man, daddy gone. (laughs) Bye. But he didn't. It says, listen to what he says. So the two of them went together. You know what that really means in Hebrew? They were in agreement. Wow. Jesus willingly laid down. We didn't, nobody took his life. He laid it down. Isaac is a picture of Jesus Christ. And in the midst of that, Abraham said, 
God will provide the ram. He will, he, he will give us the lamb, son. Don't worry. We, he's got this. He's our provider. Verse 9 says, Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood on the altar, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. We sing a song called, Oh, come to the altar. The arms of God are open wide. But the word altar here doesn't mean what we think it means sometimes. This was a place of slaughter. This was a place of death. Isaiah 53, 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So what is, our, what is our altar? What does our altar sacrifice look like, church? What, what, you know, this whole sermon, it, it's about what, what is the, the altar? What are we giving him? What are, or what are we withholding from him that he's asking us to give up? Well, what do we think is so much more important because he is worthy? He is worthy of all honor and glory. He is worthy of our obedience. He is worthy of our worship. And Abraham got it. Abraham got it. He said, you know, this is my son. But God said to do this. And if God told me to do it, I'm going to do it. No questions asked. And we argue with God. We plead with God. We make excuses with God. And he says, okay. Do it the hard way. Or do it the easy way. How many of you have done it the hard way? It's no fun. See, Galatians 2.20 says, Paul says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Whew. When are we ever going to get that one? But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by what? By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why he's worthy, church. He loved us, and he gave, God gave his only begotten Son for us. That's why we should be willing to surrender our lives to him. He gave himself for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for me and you. While you're in the midst of your worst sin, he cried, he died for you. He died for me. So Abraham's posture of worship is this that day. That's his posture. Seems kind of weird, doesn't it? But the Bible says lift up holy hands in prayer. See, I'm going to ask you about your posture. His posture was, I'm going to be obedient to the Lord. That's, that was his posture. See, our posture should be, I'm obedient to the Lord. Lord, whatever you ask of me, I will do. Our posture can be raised hands. I saw many raised hands. I love to see raised hands in worship. And that's not because I think it looks cool, because God does. Because he said to lift up holy hands. Okay, a lot of people, well, I don't think that's... My hands aren't, oh, yeah, they are. We'll talk about that in a minute. You know, your posture of worship may be this. Maybe this. Your posture of worship may be, hmm. Come up here, Randy. Have a seat. Face me. Your posture of worship may be, 
washing somebody's feet, taking care of the needy. That could be your posture of worship. Your posture of worship could be, God touched this man today because you're walking in obedience. You don't think, you think God just wants you to throw your hands up and, and your heart not be with him, not being obedient? He wants you to walk in that. Thank you, Randy. You did a great job sitting down on the job. What's your posture of worship this morning? What are you willing to humble yourself and do? He's ready. He's poised. He's, he's got the knife up. And I believe with all my heart, if the angel hadn't said a word, he would have plunged that knife into Isaac's heart and then set him on fire. See, the burnt offering took place after you killed the animal, the sacrifice. But God, verse 11, But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. Get you, you know, his heart's like, ta -tum, ta -tum, ta -tum, ta -tum. Oh, I was hoping he would call my name. I was hoping. And he said, Do not lay your hands on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So now you know, this is where we're going with this sermon, don't you? What are you withholding from God? What are you withholding from God? But let me rephrase that. And Mary Lou and I were talking about this yesterday, somebody she was dealing with. Sometimes it's not what you're withholding for, from God. It's, not, it's, it's what you're not willing to give Him. Does that make sense? You see, I've heard people say, Oh God, just take this addiction from me. Take this addiction from me. And God said, No, 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 give it to me. Give it to me. Free will, right? So as long as you, oh, take this from me, God. Take this from me. Look, he didn't take it from me. I guess I can keep doing the deal. I can keep smoking the dope. I can still keep ejecting. I can, kill, I can keep on gossiping. I can keep on getting drunk. I can keep on doing whatever that sin is. And there's a lot of them. Oh, take this from me, God. And he said, no, give it to me. Amen. See, Abraham was willing to give his son Isaac. And God then knew his heart. But more than that, Abraham knew his heart. Abraham knew his own heart. And he knew Isaac's heart because Isaac didn't run away. He was willing to listen to his father. We'll see how this all ends in a minute, but let's move on. Verse 13. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the, the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. That's the great exchange. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. Say Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. On a hill called Mount Calvary, it was provided. Think about it, church. Isn't he worthy to be praised? Do we have to figure out, why, why would I need to worship him? On a hill called Mount Calvary, Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice and provision for us when he went to that old rugged cross. When he carried that wood himself. When the Father said, when he said, Father, for, Father, if there's another way, and, and his Father said, no, you're the way, son, you're the way, that you're the truth, you're the life. It's got to be you. And God provided that day. 
See, Abraham, he, he, God, he kept Abraham from killing his only son, but God himself killed his only son for us. Think about it. The, one of the, the only vision I've ever had was God came to me, and, he's, he, and, and it was as clear as a picture as night and day. It was in, on full-blown color. And this is back before we had gone into the ministry full-time. And he showed me my son on a cross, Wes, on a cross. And he was just beaten, bruised, and he was horribly mangled. And I heard God's voice like it was so clear as in quadraphonic. Surround sound. He said, Harold. I said, yes, Lord. I said, that's how much I love you. See, I couldn't give my son up. You couldn't give your kids up. You would willingly die yourself, right? But you're not going to give up your son. So that's how much God loves us, that he would give his only begotten son. He is worthy. He is worthy. Then the angel of the Lord, verse 13 or 15, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. And he said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Listen, church, blessing. I'll bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies in your seed. All the nations, listen, it came through Abraham. All the Gentiles, they came through Abraham too because Jesus came from Abraham. Amen? He says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. True worship of God, listen to me, results in our faith being stirred up so much that we recognize his majesty, we recognize his glory, we recognize his goodness. And when you do that and you truly worship him, then you get blessed. Say, I get blessed. You get multiplied. Say, I get multiplication. You have protection. Say, I get protection. My generations succeed from now on because I have come to the place of worship. True worship. To the one true living God. It doesn't get any better than that, church. People say, well, I want to walk in the blessings. Well, you want to walk in obedience? Nah, I don't think I want to do that. But don't get, don't, don't get too... Uh, expectant of, of miracles or blessings in your life if you're, if you're not willing to just surrender and believe God. And trust Him and obey Him. Blessings upon blessings. I like that song. Miracles on miracles. A million little miracles. One, two, three, four. I can't even count them all. That's what comes when we find out what and we begin to worship God, Joe. When we find out that He is worthy of our praise. So, what makes us worthy? Now, we know he's worthy. And, and I could go on and on. All of our songs are about his being, him being worthy. But what makes us worthy to worship him? Because many of you in here this morning, you know, I would raise my hand, but last night you don't even know what I was doing, you know? Uh, I, I've, I've not been that good of a Christian. We put that label. Uh, I'm not that. I haven't spent a, a, a week of fasting and prayer and been praying in tongues. And I haven't been reading my word like I should. I don't think I'm worthy to really worship God. And, and so we start putting all this doubt and this guilt on ourselves. And there's this story in the Bible, and I'll be brief with it, but it's one of my all-time favorite stories in the Bible. It's in Luke 15. I guess you could, might, might want to call it the, the story of the prodigal. 
And our, the word is, uh, for prodigal is worldly. Now, this, this young man, he comes to his dad and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance. Now, that wasn't, that wasn't the norm that as a young man you could get your inheritance. It usually was either when he died or when he was older and he turned everything over to, the, to, his, to his children. But this one young man, he says, I want my inheritance. And his dad said, okay, I, I'm not, I don't want to do this, but I want to give you your inheritance. And here's what I think he did. I think if he could have got a plane back then, he would have taken a plane. He would jet it straight to Las Vegas. And I think he went to some place like Las Vegas. And how many of you know when you got a lot of money, you get a lot of friends, in quotations? Yeah. But how many of you know when the money runs out, your friends run out? Right? And so he's, he's got a lot of money. He's going to Vegas. Man, he is, he is planning. And he's got the girls. He's got the women. He's got the, he's, got the, he's got the wine. And man, he is living it up. And all of a sudden, there's a famine in the land. And, and he, his money's gone. So his friends are gone. There's a famine in the land. He can't get a job for nothing. Anybody ever look for a job and you just couldn't, couldn't find one? And you ended up getting one that you didn't want. How many ever got a job that they didn't want to do? Well, he got the worst job a Jew could ever get, and that was slopping pigs. Man, they, didn't, they were around unclean all day. Not just the slop itself, not just the poop from the pigs, but I'm talking about the pigs themselves. They're unclean. And he's slopping pigs, and he's like, man... What am I, I can't do this anymore. And look at verse 17, he says, but when he came to himself, how many of you know that, how many of you have been away from God, you've been walking away from God, and all of a sudden you come to a Jesus, you have a Jesus meeting with yourself. Come to Jesus meeting with yourself. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's not with somebody else, it's Jesus, he intervenes. We're going to have intervention, son, and it's just Jesus in you, Right? And so he says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare it, and I perish with hunger? So first thing the prodigal recognized was <clears throat> that his dad was a provider. Yeah. We just talked about Jehovah Jireh. He's the provider. He knew his dad could provide for him. And so he says, my, my father's got plenty of food, and the servants eat really well. So I think, hmm, that sounds like a good idea. He says, then in verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father. And then we'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy. Say worthy. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. See, right there, he's willing to repent. He had a changed mindset. Circumstances sometimes will cause your mindset to change. Right? You may be thinking one thing and everything's going the wrong way, downhill, and all of a sudden, you, I think I need to repent. There's something here going on, and this ain't God, you know, and so you repent. So he was willing to repent. He was willing to humble himself because he said, I'm just going to become a servant. And he's going from the top rung to the bottom rung. And he's, gonna, he's thinking, I'm going to go serve my brother. And he didn't care for his brother. They weren't very good brothers to each other. I'm going to go back and serve with the servant. So he was willing to humble himself. And then in verse 20, it says this, And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, say great way off. I love this. I love this. It says his father saw him and had compassion and he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Sounds like worship in a way. Every day, every day, dad's coming out on the front porch. Maybe this is the day. Maybe this is the day my son will come home. You know, he's still my son. Maybe, maybe, today, he'll, maybe he'll, today he'll figure out that I love him so much. Maybe today, maybe he's, not, maybe he's not in a good place, but he'll know that I love him so much he'll come back to me. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Have you ever been to that place, church, where you walked away from God after he had blessed you, and you became disobedient, you went back into your backslidden and your sin, and you felt like I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And I want to tell you something, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Can I tell you that again? That's a lie from the pit of hell. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you surrendered your life to Him and you backslid, He never stopped loving you. He never left you. He never forsake you, even though you may have walked away. But you never became not worthy. And so many people die in their sins because they've been taught, oh, if you've done this many sins and you're you're just not worthy and people talk about them. Oh, did you see who walked into church today? I can't believe they walked into church today and you know, I'm just checking to see if the ceiling's going to stay up. And we judge people and we we put people down and, and we're just as guilty. It just doesn't look the same way for us. We hide it better. He said, he said, I don't feel like I'm worthy to be called your son. I thank God uh, that I never felt that way about my dad. He wasn't the best dad. But I never felt like he would reject me, no matter what I did. Be that kind of father, be that kind of mom, be that kind of brother or sister, that whoever's walked away from your life or walked away from God in your life, let them know they're still yours, that they belong to you, that they're worthy. Okay, can't see again. I need an official tear wiper up here. <laughs> but listen to this, what the Father... This, this is a picture of our Heavenly Father. Y'all get this? But the Father said to His servants, He didn't even, he didn't even acknowledge His Son, His repentance, His confession. He says, That's good, Son, bring, but bring out the best robe and put it on Him. Bring out the best robe, not the second-class robe for a second-class citizen. Bring out the best robe. And, and put a ring in his hand and sandals on his feet. I mean, his, his sandals are bad if he even had any on. Get some good sandals and put on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here. And here's the sacrifice. Here's the lamb, okay? He said, bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and he's alive again he was lost and now he is found and they began to be merry boy when prodigals come home we should become merry we should then we should have a party every time one sinner repents the bible says the angels in heaven rejoice i always say they throw a party and i believe there's somebody here this morning You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. This is going to be your day. And I just want to give you a warning ahead of time. They're getting ready in heaven for the party. But I also want to say this. I want to say this. For the prodigals that we know, moms and dads, 
get ready for the party. Start preparing like they're coming home. Does that make sense? Get the room ready. Get whatever you need. Say, by prophetically, a faith act, just get something ready. Say, I'm ready for when my son comes home. I'm ready for when my daughter comes out of those drugs. I'm ready for when my, when my son comes out of prison. We've got the house ready. We've got the room ready. And we've got to get ready for him to come back. That's faith, church. That's faith. That's just faith. Faith moves God. It moves him. Everything we do here, we do by faith. And because of what Jesus did for us, and because we've accepted what he did for us, that makes you and me worthy. When you say, I'm not worth anything to Jesus, you know what you're saying? You're really saying something really ugly. You're saying Jesus shouldn't, what he died for, when he died for me, it didn't count. It didn't make any difference. Don't ever diminish the death of Jesus Christ. Don't ever diminish it. I know the resurrection is incredible, and that's our, our life beyond this life, but don't ever diminish what Jesus, the sacrifice he paid for us. So that makes us worthy. Now, let's go to the end of the story, the, the, the Paul Harvey moment. I mean, remember Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey, the rest of the story, right? He's a great guy, and he loved Jesus. I, I love him. So we got the story from Genesis, so let's get the rest of the story from Hebrews chapter 11. And you'll see the, why it says, by faith, okay? By faith, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, the promise of generations and after generation, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed should be called, shall be called. Verse 19. Concluding. Say concluding. In conclusion. I like this. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So when he said, Servants, me and my son are going to go yonder. He must have been from West Texas. We're going to go yonder on that mountain. And we're going to go worship the Lord. And we are going to come back. We. Because he believed with all of his heart, because I believe the word of God is true, that even if he had plunged the knife in Isaac, even if he had set him on fire, before he walked back to those servants, Isaac would be raised from the dead and walk right alongside him. Yeah. Woo! Isn't that good? That's why he's worthy to be worshipped. That's why he's worthy of our praise. See, some of you, some of you, you're holding back. You're holding back because you're not so sure that he'll do what he says he's going to do. You're not believing the full promises of God. You're not trusting him with those really difficult things. And that's a difficult thing. You know, God never asked anybody else to do anything like that. But he already knew the outcome. That's good. But he may have asked you to do something, give up something, uh, surrender something to him. And you think, well, I, if, I, if I do, Lord, I don't think that's going to work out over here. And God says, go ahead and read Hebrews 11. Read about Abraham. He trusted me so much. He said, I can kill my son, but you will raise him from the dead because of your promises are true. They're yes and amen. God is not a liar. Amen. But you got to know his word. you got to trust his word. you got to trust his voice. And you have to walk in obedience. 
you're going to worship Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you're going to worship Him in spirit and truth, would you stand? Ministry team, come. My wife shared this with me yesterday. She said, I believe this needs to be shared. And it does. Because it's part of obedience. You know, the Bible says if, if you're going to bring your gift to the altar, in other words, you're going to go worship God, and your brother has an odd against you, leave your gift and for, delay or pause your worship, go make it right with your brother, and then come back and worship. See, you can't, you can't worship God and, and have an offense against somebody. You can't truly worship Him in spirit and in truth until you've got things cleared up. And you may think, well, how am I going to do that, Pastor? It's that same thing, R-E-P-E-N-T, repent. It's not asking God to forgive you. It's you changing the way you think. It's maybe you talking to somebody else and saying, would you forgive me? I don't want an offense to keep me from worshiping my God. I don't want to keep it. I won't let anything get between me and my God, whether it's a habit, whether it's unforgiveness, whether it's disobedience, not doing what God's called you to do. He doesn't want anything to get between you and him. And so that's why he said, Abraham, if there's a possibility that Isaac might come between us, give him up. And Abraham said, okay. <laughs> Would you just say okay to God today? Hey, that's the invitation. Say okay to God. Father, we thank you today for your word. I thank you for a man of God like Abraham that trusted you. Lord, may we have the faith of Abraham. May we have the faith that you put within us, God. You said to have faith in God. That also means have the faith of God. And then we would see mountains move. So, Lord, today have your way in every heart, every mind, every person. Within the sound of my voice, have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen.